Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. First Samuel 17, we're continuing our, actually 18 is where we're going we're gonna to start, and we're, we're really going to be in 19, but we're going to look at a few verses at the end of 18, and uh, continue our series, studying the life of King Saul on toxic leadership, and this is uh, message number 15 in this series, and my wife asked me how much longer we're going to be here. I was telling her where I was preaching, she said, how many more messages do you have there? I said, I keep saying three or four, and then I keep studying, and I keep getting more, so I don't know, three or four or five or 30 or 40, I'm not sure, but I think probably three or four or five more messages in this Sunday evening series, and then I'm praying over three or four different series of what to start next later on this year, Lord willing, on Sunday nights. But I've enjoyed this and studying the life of King Saul. And we're looking at some things, obviously a God-anointed leader, God-chosen leader, a, a blessed leader, a humble leader, had such great potential ahead of him. God had used him in some great ways. Such a good start. I said it in the early messages of the series. Saul, there are two Sauls in the Bible. King Saul in the Old Testament had such a good start and such a bad end. And then Saul in the New Testament, who became the Apostle Paul, he had such a, a bad start. He was Saul the persecutor, became Paul the Apostle, and such a great end. And we've been studying these things, not necessarily so that you can look and say, yeah, my boss, he's such a toxic leader, or my husband, or, or this person in my life that I, I had there, my teacher, whatever, so that we can look and see all of us. All of us have the seeds uh, for unhealthy leadership or influence in our relationships and in our areas of authority. And we can take inventory and say, you know what, I see that cropping up in my life. God, give me the strength to get victory there. Help me to be the husband you want me to be. If you're a wife, the wife that you want me to be, a, a dad, a mom, wherever your roles in life are, at work, at church, and in and, and ministry, in different areas, God, help me to be who you want me to be. And so that's where we're at. And I do want to say thank you. They, they told me they came up and had me uh, switch uh, microphones. They said I was a little muffled early on. And we're still trying out different mics. We've actually ordered a couple different headsets. And, and uh, then we're trying different lengths because we can test it when I'm saying test one, two. But then when I get excited and start preaching, it's a different animal sometimes on the soundboard. And so thank you for your patience as we're still working all of these kinks out. There's still not 100% done with everything. We're going to be connecting the brand new live stream camera system in the next month or so. And, and when the choir loft gets built, all of the choir microphones and all of those things. And so thank you for your patience with all of those things in the sound system. And we're continuing to work that out. Where are we in 1 Samuel? We're going to be in 1 Samuel 18. What's happening right here? By way of review, it's been a couple Sunday nights, I guess two weeks ago since I preached uh, in this series. A reminder, 1 Samuel 17 is the very well-known story uh, of that children's story that's preached often. Talk to me, David and who, church? David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, God, uh, God uh, works a great victory for the children of Israel, miraculous victory. Goliath is killed, and God's people rejoice. They come back, and everybody's excited. Ladies, are, it's, I, I use the illustration kind of, of, of in American culture when, when a team wins a championship in a major sporting event, and they flood the streets, they have parades, everybody's cheering ticker tape and, and all of those things. And uh, they, they came home, and there was this celebration, almost this parade, and people out in the streets and celebrating and playing instruments and dancing in the streets. 
And the ladies were singing to Saul, Saul hath killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And something happened in David's spirit there. Now, some things had already happened in his spirit. We've studied in the previous chapters, but something else happened. And Saul, who was rejoicing, begins to eye David, and he, he hates David even more. And he tries to kill him a couple of times. And we saw that in chapter number 18. He tried to kill David. And, and in chapter 18, David goes not only from being a national hero, but he goes to being Saul's son-in-law. He marries Saul's daughter, and in chapter 18, Michael, and he they, they gets married there. And, and now we have Saul. David is a national hero. He's the anointed king. He's, he's the, 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 the incumbent, if you will, I guess, or the, that's not the right word, whatever that is when a president's waiting to get inaugurated. I just lost that word. Whatever that word is, that's what he is. He's waiting to take the throne, and, uh, and, and, and he's a military leader, but, but Saul eyes him. I talked the last two messages on the toxicity of jealousy. He's jealous. He's angry. Let's pick it up in, for, by way of review, get, get some context. And just to give you an idea, my messages sometimes have a similar structure and other times they're very different. Tonight, our message, we're going to walk through a good bit of scripture just looking at the story. And at the end, I'm going to pull out a few uh, thoughts or applications or takeaways. And, uh, and each one of those is going to take me probably about a minute, minute and a half each. And, uh, and so the bulk of our message together really is just going to be walking through and seeing the message, seeing the big picture of the story, and then a few applications for us. Let's look at 1 Samuel 18, verse number 28, where we finished up two weeks ago. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. I don't know about you, Dad, but if that's what I knew, is that my, 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 my daughter loved who she had married— and God was with that man, I think I'd be happy. That'd be kind of like a lifelong prayer answer. I think that that'd be a dream come true, right? You would think. Let's look at verse 29. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David. And Saul became David's enemy continually. God's with him. My daughter loves him. Those seem like good reasons. I think I hate him. He, he became his enemy continually. It's a good reminder. When we get wrapped up in ourselves, when we get wrapped up in sinful thoughts and foolish thoughts, how crazy our thinking can become. We'll see that a little later in the message. Verse 30, then the princes of the Philistines went forth and it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself, the next two words, church, he behaved himself what? More wisely than all the servants of Saul so that his name was much set by so Saul tries to kill David twice in 1 Samuel 18. He lies to David. He tries to send David out into battle. God is with David. God protects him. He ends up marrying Saul's daughter. And David behaves himself more wisely after his father-in-law tries, or what, what would become his father-in-law, tries to kill him twice. Let's see how Saul behaves himself. Would you read chapter 19, verse 1 aloud? Ready? Begin. And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. We're gonna read a lot of this story together, but David behaves himself more wisely and Saul tells his son and everyone under his authority, we've gotta kill David. There's a bounty on his head. He is public enemy number one. We've gotta kill him. And, and again, this is not my message, but a good little reminder here, sometimes when you live right, you don't always get treated right. And leave that to God. 
David behaved himself more wisely. That's verse 30, right? And we remember when this was written, there were not chapter and verse divisions. The very next phrase, and Saul hated him and wanted to kill him. He was his enemy continually. You cannot control how people treat you. You can control how you live before them and how you respond to those that mistreat you. Verse number two, but Jonathan, Saul's son, now Jonathan was a good, a good man. He was a good guy. Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. Understand, one of the reasons that Saul hated John, uh, David so much was because that God had anointed David to be king. Well, what that meant was Saul's own son doesn't get to be king. What that meant was was most of the time when you're a king, the prince becomes king, your son, and it stays in your family. Well, God had said through Samuel, you're not, you're, the, the throne is not going to stay in your family. And so Saul said, I don't care what Samuel said. I don't care what God said. And we'll see it a little bit later. I'm going to do whatever it takes for my will to be done. I'm going to keep the throne in my lineage, in my line, with my children. But Jonathan didn't feel that way. Where Saul was lifted up in pride, Jonathan was a man of humility. Where Saul was lifted up in self-interest, Jonathan was a man that said, whatever God wants, that's what I want. And Jonathan and David, Saul's enemy, was, was Saul's son's best friend. And Jonathan comes and says, hey, heads up, my dad's about to kill you. Verse 3, and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art, and I will commune with my father of thee. And what I see, that I will tell thee. So go hide, go find a bush or somewhere to hide in. I'm going to go talk to my dad. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father and said unto him, let not the king sin against his servant, against David. Dad, what are you doing? Don't do this, dad. Because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee word very good. Dad, not only has David not done wrong to you, he's done nothing but good for you. Don't kill him. Verse six, I'm sorry, verse five. For he did put his life in his hand and slew the Philistine. And the Lord brought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it, and look at these next three words, church. Thou sawest it, what are the next three words? And what? Didst rejoice. Dad, two chapters ago, you remember not too long ago, God used him to kill, and you, you saw it, and you rejoiced. You loved what, how God had used David. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? Dad, why are you doing this? And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan. Here we see, and it's interesting, because sometimes in Saul's life, we do see what seems to be some progress. Oh, maybe he's coming to his right mind. What does it say? Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan. You know what? You know what, son? You're right. And Saul, much like he did other times when he, when he made an impulsive decision to kill David, now he makes an impulsive decision. And Saul swear, I promise, as the Lord liveth. Saul's very good at bringing spiritual talk into his, into his thoughts. As the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. I swear to you, son, as long as God's alive. Anybody know how long God's alive? God's eternal, right? As the Lord liveth, I will not slay him. And Jonathan called David. He's probably excited. I got good news. Jonathan showed him all those things. Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. I have to imagine it was a happy reunion. He's back. David's like, God, I don't know what you did, but you did it. God, you wrought a victory. This is amazing. My enemy is now my friend. You've let me back in. This is good. Verse number eight, and there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. 
And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand and David played with his hand. Sometimes, sometimes that's a little hard to understand. The evil spirit from the Lord, what does that mean there? Well, we see back with Samuel, he had come and he had said that God is removing his spirit from you, right? And it's a good reminder. The New Testament says it this way for us, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You know that all of us are capable of doing evil when we walk in our flesh. And God said, you, you, even those of us that have the Holy Spirit in us can quench the Spirit of God within us. Now, we can't lose the Spirit of God, but we can quench the Spirit of God within us, and we can walk in the flesh. We can do evil, if you will. We, as Christians, I don't mean demon possession, but I mean we can have an evil spirit, meaning a carnal, fleshly spirit that is not pleasing to God, and do those things which are not pleasing. Well, with Saul, that's where he was, and because God had removed his presence and his spirit, Saul found himself the absence of, of the Spirit of God. God working in our lives is an evil spirit, the spirit of man, a sinful spirit, right? And, and he's there and he's holding his javelin and David's playing in verse 10. And Saul sought to smite David. What was that? It was how many? Six, six, verse number six, as long as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. David, all he's done between then and now and then is just go and help, help kill the Philistines. And Saul sought, verse 10, sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence and he smote the javelin into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Look at verse 11. Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him, to slay him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, if thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So Saul says, he's playing his harp and he's gotten good at this, I guess, a little peripheral vision. He's gotten quick reflexes because this is not the first time it's happened. He's playing there for Saul. He sees the javelin up and he's like, I'm out of here. And he runs and barely misses him and the javelin sticks in the wall and, and David's gone. And Saul says, all right, SWAT team, I need you guys to go on reconnaissance. You're gonna go on a, uh, on a mission there to his house. I want you to keep his house under surveillance. Wherever he goes, see what he does, report it back to me. When he's, by the morning, we're gonna kill him. Well, Michael knows her dad's tricks. So Michael says, honey, if you don't get out of here, this is, this is the last time we'll ever see each other. You better get out of here. So verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 12. So Michael let down uh, David down through a window and he went and fled and escaped. And Michael took an image. That would be an idol. It's interesting. Not quite sure why Michael would still have a, an idol or an image that would maybe be something that somebody would worship there. And David, a man after God's own heart. But Michael took an image and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster and covered it with a cloth. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, what? What does she say there in verse 14, church? What did she say? He is sick. She comes, they knock on the door. The, uh, the SWAT team comes to the door, the messengers of Saul. They've been in surveillance all night. Hey, uh, your dad would like to see David. Oh, he's not feeling well. Got a little, lost his taste, lost his smell. We're not sure what it is, but he's not feeling well today. He's going to go get tested. I'm not sure what it was, but he wasn't feeling good. Verse number, look at verse number, uh, uh, verse number, where was that? Where am I? 15? Is that where we're at? 16, 17, somewhere. And uh, I don't even know where I was. Oh, there it is, 14. 15, all right. And Saul sent the messengers again to see David. So he goes later on saying, bring him up to me in the bed. I don't care if he's sick. If you've got to carry his bed out of his house and bring him to me on a stretcher, bring him up to me and uh, that I may slay him. He's gonna kill this man on, his, on a sick bed. And when the messengers were come in, behold, there was an image in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster. And Saul said unto Michael, why hast thou deceived me so and sent away mine enemy that he's escaped? And Michael answered, isn't it interesting? The one who had lied now is being lied to. Saul, he said unto me, let me go. Why should I kill thee? 
So David fled and escaped and came to Samuel to Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and dwelt in Naoth. And it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth and Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as appointed over them, the Spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. Now, as you study that word, that Hebrew word prophesied, it can mean the foretelling of events. It can also mean the idea of worshiping, and it can mean praising God, singing, kind of what we do in church. And so what happens here, it carries along some of those same ideas. Saul finds out where David has escaped to. David went to Samuel and obviously Saul had spies everywhere. Word gets back. We know where David is. So Saul says, okay, you guys, your, your job, go find him, bring him back. This is it. Death sentence. We got an arrest warrant for this guy. So they come, the messengers of Saul come and David and Samuel are there and the spirit of God is on these men and what's happening so, so well with that they start to worship God. They start to praise God. They, and the messengers are there and they get caught up in the, in the service where David and Saul are. And so then it says, it says in verse uh, number uh, 20, 21, and when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers. All right, guys, those guys didn't come back. Go get David, bring him back. I'm going to kill him. And they prophesied likewise. And Saul sent messengers again the third time. And they prophesied also. They got there and the spirit of God was so strong. They, they got caught up in all of that. They got involved in all of that. Verse 22, then went he also to Ramah and came to a great well that is in Sichu. And he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they be at Naoth and Ramah. And he went thither to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. He got caught up. God's Spirit was so strong. And he stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel in like manner, lay down naked all that day and all that night. Wherefore they say, is Saul also among the prophets? The, the Spirit of God overwhelmed Saul there. But David knows it's not safe for him to say. So in verse, chapter 20, verse 1, And David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, Look at this. You can hear the emotion in his voice. What have I done? What is mine iniquity? What is my sin before thy father that he seeketh my life? Jonathan, I don't understand. I've done nothing but seek to honor him, seek to obey him, seek to live for him. I don't understand. Why does he treat me this way? Help me understand, Jonathan. What have I done? He's tried to kill me three times. He's, he's schemed against me. He's lied about me. He sent others to kill me. He came himself to kill me in Ramah. Jonathan, help me understand. Verse number two, and he said unto him, God forbid. Thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing, either great or small, but that he will show it me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. And David swore moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But, but truly, as the Lord liveth, as, the, as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. Jonathan says, David, you're not going to die. If you did, I would know it. My dad's going to tell me. My dad will let me know if he's, he's about to kill you. It's, it, don't, don't worry. If, if I hear anything, I'll let you know. And, and David said, no, no. He knows. He knows that you care for me. He knows that you're willing to obey God over him. He knows that you're willing to do right when, even when he does wrong. He's not, he's not going to tell you if he's scheming to kill me. He's not going to tell you, Jonathan. Verse number four, and then said Jonathan unto David, whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. Okay, well, what do you want me to do? David said unto Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon, 
and I should not fail to sit with the king at meat, but let me go that I may hide myself in the field under the third day at even. And then in the new moon, in those times, Jewish families would gather together for a feast, and it would be, it would, they would expect that David would be there as a, as a military hero and as, John, as Saul's son-in-law, he should be at this big family meal. And Jonathan's telling him, trust me, my dad's not gonna kill you. If he was, he would tell me, and David said, no, 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 I can't come back. He said, okay, well, how do you wanna do this? He said, you know we're supposed to have a big family meal tomorrow night. I'm supposed to be there. My, my chair's next to the king's. I'm supposed to be there. Here, here's what we'll do. He says, verse number, uh, verse number, he said, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna hide myself in the field under the third day. I'm gonna be hiding out there for three days. If thy father, verse six, at all miss me, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me that he might run to Bethlehem, his city, for there's a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he say thus, it is well, thy servant shall have peace. But if he be very wroth, then be sure that evil is determined by him. So he says, let him know, just tell him that I got a call from my family. They had a really important thing that I needed to go real quick and I'll be right back. And guess what? Any reasonable person, if there was a family emergency or a family event that someone needed to be at, they would say, oh, okay, that's fine. But an unreasonable person, a toxic leader, if you will, is gonna get very angry. And so he says, we're gonna know if he says, oh, no, no problem, that's fine, whenever he gets back. But if he gets angry, we're gonna know that he's not in his right mind. Verse number eight, therefore thou shalt deal kindly with thy servant, for thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant of the Lord with thee, notwithstanding, if there be in me iniquity, slay me with thyself. If I deserve it, you can kill me, Jonathan. For why shouldest thou bring me to thy father? And Jonathan said, far be it from thee, for if I knew certainly that evil were determined by my father to come upon thee, then would not I tell it thee? Then said David to Jonathan, who shall tell me, or what if thy father answer thee roughly? So uh, for the sake of time, I won't read all of this. We're gonna skip about 20 verses here. For the sake of time, I'll just summarize what happens in those 20 verses. You can go back and read it. And I told you, I know it's a lot of scripture tonight, but all of this story all kind of goes together and then we're gonna apply all of it at the end. But, but so he, he comes and, and David has done nothing to deserve this and Saul tries to kill him. So David escapes out of the window and Saul goes after him and David comes back when, when Saul's there and says to Jonathan, what's going on? And Jonathan says, I, I, you don't deserve this. I don't know what's happening. And, and he says, I don't think my, da my dad wants to kill you. And David says, I do think he does. Let's find out. Tell him I went to go see my, my dad. And if he says, no problem, that's eh, understandable. He'll be back in a few days. Then we're all good. But if he says, if he gets really angry, then we know he's not, we're not all good. And so then the next 20 verses, what they say is, and David says, well, how am I gonna know? There's spies all over here. I, I can't be seen talking with you. How, what if we can't get together? You gotta remember there weren't cell phones. There wasn't email. There, were, there wasn't text messages. How am I gonna find out what your dad tells you? Because if, if, you, if he tells you something, you try to send a messenger, then that messenger might double cross us. If you say, go find David, he might go to Saul and say, your, your brother's scheming with David. He says, here's what we'll do. You hide in that, uh, in that field for three days, and the first night, as you read it, what happens is, he says, David's not here. And, and Saul says, well, maybe he's unclean. Meaning, well, there were there certain laws. There might've been something David had done uh, there. He might've touched some, something that made him uh, ceremonially unclean, uh, ritually unclean. He might've touched the wrong food or something or, or something with blood. And if you were unclean, you could get clean. It was a, a one day process to get clean. So the first night David doesn't show up, Saul's okay because he thinks, well, maybe. Then the second night David doesn't show up, he asks Jonathan, where's David? If he was unclean, he would have been here by tonight. And he tells him what it is. And, and they decide in those 20 verses, if your dad gets mad, here's what we wanna do. I'll be in the field, and Jonathan says, I'll shoot three arrows into the field. 
and I'll have a little boy who's my, my helper, my little messenger with me, and I'll send him out to go fetch the arrows. And I'll tell him, I'm going to go out for some target practice, practice my bow and arrow skills. This boy's going to go, and when he runs out in, in your direction, if I shoot an arrow really far, and I tell the boy, hey, the arrow, it's past you. you got to go a little farther. That means don't come back, David. You need to run. My dad's mad. But if I tell the little boy that's going out to get the arrows, oh, no, I think it's a little closer. Come in a little closer. He said, then you know you can come back home. And even if spies are watching, they're not going to think anything of Jonathan doing a little target practice and sending a kid out to fetch his arrows and either say it's farther or it's closer. Now let's finish it up and then we'll wrap it up. Verse number 27, and it came to pass on the morrow, which was the second day that David's place was empty. And Saul said unto Jonathan, wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse? Notice that he doesn't use his name. You can almost hear the disdain. Wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse to meet? Neither yesterday nor today. And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, let me go, I pray thee, for our family hath a sacrifice in the city. And my brother, he hath commanded me to be there. By the way, David's brothers were in Saul's army. So it was almost like guys under your command have told David to go over here. And, and he says, it says, uh, uh, and now if I have found favor in thine eyes, let me get away, I pray thee, and see my brethren. Therefore he cometh not on the king's table. Verse 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said unto him. Now, by the way, his anger wasn't even kindled against David now. Now it's against Jonathan, his son. And he said unto him, Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? Basically what he's saying is, you're, you're, you've brought so much shame unto our family. Uh, basically, you're, you're an illegitimate child. I don't even claim you as my own. You brought, you brought shame upon our family as if uh, your, your mother's shame had been exposed to everybody. You're, you're a son of, of a prostitute, basically. He says here, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. You're an illegitimate child. I don't even claim you as my own. Verse number 31. For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. You're not going to be king, Jonathan. What don't you understand about this? David is trying to—David's an enemy of ours. He says, wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said unto him, wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? Why, dad? Why? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him. Tries to kill his own son. I'd say that's a toxic leader. Whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did eat no meat the second day of the month for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. And it came to pass in the morning that Jonathan went out in the field at the time appointed and a little lad with him. And he said unto the lad, run, find now the arrows which I shoot. And the lad ran and he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the lad was come to the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried after the lad and said, is not the arrow beyond thee? And Jonathan cried after the lad, make speed, haste, stay not. He tells him, make speed, haste, stay not. The boy thinks he's talking to him. David knows he's talking to him. Get out of here, quickly. And Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the lad knew not anything. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his artillery unto the lad and said unto him, go, carry them to the city. Take my, take my weapons back, son. And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face toward the ground and bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another 
and wept one with another until David exceeded. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace. For as much as we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord be between me and thee and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. Very long passage of scripture tonight and I appreciate you sticking with it to get the big picture of this whole story. But I read this and as I studied, as I do, I go through the passages and study and see what kind of goes together and how the Lord's leading and convicting and challenging my own heart. As I read it, I couldn't help but see all the things that this once great, blessed, anointed leader of God had lost in his life. Tonight, for just a few moments, I'll wrap it up. I won't need to be long. I'd like to bring you a few thoughts on the tragic losses of a toxic leader. When you and I allow ourselves to get lifted up in pride, there are great losses that come into our lives. And we see a few in this passage, a few that I'll, I'll pull out and probably a few more that I could. When you and I, this, this once mighty, this once great, this once blessed Saul going farther and farther into a place of darkness, his anger has overtaken him that he tries to kill his own son. And as I thought about it, I thought about how much Saul had lost. A king chosen by God with such a bright future. He has an amazing son, Jonathan, that loves him and is used of God, is blessed of God. Jonathan is an amazing man, a great spirit, greatly used of God. He has a servant, David, who is willing to do whatever he wants and is obviously anointed and blessed of God and is bringing Saul's kingdom great honor and great, great victory. And David's willing to do anything for him. He's joyfully serving Saul in any way that he can. Saul had experienced great victory and miracles as the, as the king of Israel. Yet his pride, his arrogance, his evil spirit blinds him to all of this. And in trying to control everything in his life, he ends up losing everything. And when you and I, we sang it tonight, I surrender all. When we try to take our lives into our own hands, I don't care what God said, this is what's gonna make me happy. I don't care what God's plan is, my son's gonna be the king. I don't care what happens, I'm gonna take these matters into my own hands. When we do that, the more we try to control in our own selfish, sinful ways, the more we end up losing. To give us a few thoughts. What do we see in this passage when we mismanage the stewardship of the things that God puts under our control? I want us to see some of the things that we can lose, whether it be at home, at work, in our families, in our peer groups, in our church, in our ministry. Number one, I see in Saul's life the loss of joy. The loss of joy. We saw it in verse number five. Hey, Dad, remember when David killed Goliath? You saw it and you didst rejoice. Chapter 19, verse number five. You rejoice, and what does he say? Basically, what is he saying to his dad there? Dad, what happened to you? Where did your joy go? Where, where did your good spirit go? What changed? Dad, wh wh what's wrong? You lost your joy. You were so joyful about those around you and what God was doing in your kingdom. But when we get lifted up in pride and start viewing people as pawns to serve us, and this is our, our life and our kingdom, we lose our joy. And may I just ask each one of us tonight, have you lost the joy in the roles God has called you to? Have you lost the joy in the role of Christian? What did David say later on? Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. You can lose the joy as a Christian. Have you lost the joy of what it is to be a child of God? 
I don't have to do these things, I get to. I don't have to serve God, I get to. I don't have to go to church, I get to. My, my kids, they'll hear me say this kind of stuff often and they probably get tired of it, but we were, we were talking about something and even just tonight we were talking with some of our kids and we were talking about how excited we are for VBS and, and Elise said something like, I can't wait for VBS, it's so fun. And Ashton was talking about something about it's so great and one of our kids said something about, oh man, I gotta get up early in the morning to get there. Don't, don't, don't shame us, all right, we're humans too. I, I got to get, I said, no, you get to get up early in the morning to go, get there. Titus, don't be telling on who it was. Don't be, don't be, I saw him looking right there. Micah, don't be asking, all right? And uh, that's our, our family secret. And, and, and by the way, they're, all of them are excited to serve, but it was just like, oh man, we got we to be up a little earlier, make sure we're all dressed and out the door and get to, get to, uh, get to church. The old summer schedule is not quite what it was there. And I told him just this afternoon, you don't have to, you get to. We lose the joy as being a, a friend, a parent, a Christian, a, a, an employee. When we first get hired, man, there's the joy. I can't, I, I can't believe this company would hire me. And it's easy to lose the joy. It is, what, what do we see this morning? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Joy always comes through service, not being served. Don't let suspicion or bitterness or hurts or the pains that have come steal your joy. Saul had lost his joy. Not only did Saul lose his joy, but I see a loss of trust. A loss of trust, those that were closest to him. Verse number 16, verse number six. What does he say in verse six? As the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. In verse 10, what does it do? He sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. Verse 11, Saul sent messengers and guess what? Michael doesn't trust her dad. Now Jonathan doesn't trust his dad. Those that loved him most, those that were the closest to him, Saul had lost their trust. Toxic leaders lose the trust of those we serve with. Number three, I see a loss of respect. Verse 12, so Michael let David down through a window and he went and fled and escaped. In this culture especially, now even still somewhat in our culture, but not nearly in the, in the, in the Bible culture or even many Middle Eastern cultures, to dishonor your father and especially to dishonor the king was a major thing. And Michael, when she was forced to choose between do I take my husband's side, David's side, or do I take my dad, the king's side, Saul had lost her respect to the level that she said, I will dishonor my dad and my king because I believe because, because he's doing wrong and my husband's not doing anything wrong. She had lost the respect of those closest to her. He, I'm sorry, he had. He lost the respect of his own daughter to such an extent that she was willing to lie to him and his servants to scheme against him. The schemer got schemed in that same vein. What do I see in this passage that we studied tonight? A loss of family relationships. A loss of family relationships, chapter 20, verse 34. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. From what we read in scripture, Michael and Jonathan had lived lives that brought honor to Saul, but his toxic leadership, his selfish scheming actions brought a great divide to even his own family. I don't know about you, if God's giving you children as our family's growing, my wife and I talk about this often, it's, it's our desire as they grow and begin to leave our home and if God blesses them with spouses and with children and with family, it's our desire that there would be a, a love and a closeness and a, and, and, and a family a relationship there that is deep and is strong for a lifetime. Now I understand that all of that is not just on us. 
they have free wills and they have sin natures and they will decide as they get older if they want to honor us with their lives and if they want to keep those relationships close. I understand that it's not always, but I, I can tell you this, just like I said earlier, we can't control what they do, but we can only control how we treat them and what we do toward them. And how often have I seen where maybe a, a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa in their toxic leadership, in their scheming, in their lying about, in their manipulating, in their, in their working against, in their feeling jealous or feeling suspicion or threatened by, by even their own family, they create divisions. Sometimes it's material things that create divisions. I had a friend of mine, his, his aunt and his uncle lived across the street from one another for 40 years. And for 40 years, they didn't speak to each other, all because of a fight over the will when their mom had died. A fight over some material possessions. When, when one would be out in the, in the yard, they literally never moved. They stayed across the street from each other. When one would come out to do yard work, the other would close their curtains. Didn't even want to look at them. What is that? That is somebody that, that, that when we have those, that toxicity in our lives, it can lead to the loss of family relationships. God save us from sinful pride that divides our family in unnecessary ways. A toxic leader will push even loving family members away through their actions in unnecessary ways. Number five, I see here loss of valuable partnerships for no reason. David was there to serve in whatever way he could. He lived for John. He lived for Saul. He lived. He, he honored Saul. But toxic leaders push good people away and isolate themselves from good people because of their own agenda, their suspicion, their unhealthy behaviors. There's always something wrong with somebody. They're always, they're always looking, how's that one trying to hurt me? That's not, a healthy, that's not a healthy way to view those in your life. Valuable partnerships. How many valuable partnerships have been lost because of unhealthy, prideful, sinful attitudes in our own hearts? I see number six, the loss of honest communication. In verse number 14 of chapter 19, what happened? Michael says, my husband's sick. Often when we do things that people can't trust, we break that trust. It makes them wonder if they can trust us with the truth. When we mistreat others and we do things that breaks that trust, it makes them wonder if they can trust us with the truth. Saul's own kids, married kids, adult children, didn't believe they could trust their dad with the truth. You see, they both lied to him here. And I would say it's wrong of them. Probably they should not have lied. But I would say it's really their dad's fault. It was his leadership that had led to them not being able to be honest with their dad. Jonathan lied. Where's David? Oh, he had some business to take care of back home. What was that? That was a lie. Whose idea was that? It was David's. Hey, Jonathan, go lie to your dad. Why is that? Because your dad can't be trusted. We've got to manipulate the manipulator. We've got to scheme the schemer. We've got to lie to the liar. Michael, where's David? Oh, he's sick. He's upstairs. He can't come down right now. And I don't know about you, but, but, but sometimes in my leadership, if I'm not careful, I need to be careful that I don't, I don't shut down honest communication. I was up at Ironwood with our teenagers for team camp, and I was talking with the, the leader, the director of that camp, Sam Brock. He's a, an amazing guy that's an amazing ministry. The Lord used his, his dad and some others there years ago to found that camp, and now some 50-ish years later, it's still going strong and amazing what God has done. 
And I was talking to uh, Sam. He was asking where our kids are at, what's going on. I was telling them their ages. And I was talking about how my wife and I are in a new season, learning what it is to parent an adult child, the first one we've had in our home. She's out of school. She's in college, but, but still under our roof and finding those balances. She's not a 12-year-old anymore, but she's also not a married 32-year-old. And she's figuring it out, and we're figuring it out. And it's gone pretty well, but there have been a few speed bumps in, in the last few months. And there are times where we're figuring things out, and there's misunderstandings on our end and on her end. And, and we were talking about some of that. And, and you know what, Sam, he's raised his children. And you know what Sam told me? He said, for my wife and me, here's where we were at with our kids. We said, if we can, as long as we know what's going on in their heart, even if we don't like it, we feel like we're in a good place. And I thought about it for a minute. And he said this, he said, there were times where our children were in places spiritually that we weren't real excited about, but our goal was to give them opportunity to at least be honest about where they were. Because if they're in a bad place spiritually and we don't know it, we're in a worse place. Because they're still in that place and we can't do anything to help it because they're putting on the facade that everything is good. He said, even if our kids weren't in a, in a good spot emotionally or spiritually, our desire was, our prayer was, God, help us to keep the lines of honest communication open enough because we can deal with, there's been a conversation, there have been conversations in our home with some of our kids in, in, in the last year or two where it was, even if we're not happy with where you're at on this issue, let us know where you're at. We can deal with the truth. What we can't deal with is if we don't know where you're at. And here's what I found for me. In my own, my leadership style, if I'm not careful, I'm a pretty black and white guy. I can be pretty focused, pretty passionate. And, and my wife says I could have been a lawyer if I hadn't gone into the ministry. I, I, can, I can put a pretty good argument up about things. And by nature, I can be a lecturer, not a great listener. Those are some of my weaknesses. And here's what I have found in starting to parent teen children. I have found at times when they open up, if I'm not careful, I shut it right back down. And they say, well, dad, no, that's not the way it's going to be this way in our home. And this is what we believe. And this is the, and X, Y, Z. And that all sounds great. The only problem is if I'm not careful, I shut down open, honest communication. And when that happens, that relationship is in an unhealthy place. And that's what happened for Saul here. His own kids couldn't be honest with him. There have been times I've had to come to my kids and say, I'm sorry, I mishandled that. I want you to talk. Tell me what's going on. And I'll try not to shut you down. I'll try not to just lecture you. I want to hear where you're at, really what's going on in your heart there. What, what are you thinking? What are you praying about? What are you struggling with? What are you wondering about? I want to, and God is teaching me and molding me. Why? Because I don't want to lose that honest communication where my kids think I can't be honest with mom. I can't be honest with dad because whatever I say, if I were honest about it, they're going to use it to hurt me. And, and I've been there on some levels and I've had to try to work on that and God help me. But we see that with King Saul. Parents, be careful. You don't shut your child down every time they open up about what's going on in their lives, even if you're not happy about what they're opening up about. If it always turns into discipline or a lecture, we run the risk of teaching them to just keep the truth from us. What will they say? I want to let my mom or dad know what's going on here. We shut them down. It turns into a lecture. It turns into discipline. You know what they say? Well, it's a lot easier if I just don't tell them anything. Be careful. Toxic leaders, we lose honest communication when we find ourselves in that spot. And then lastly, what do I see? The tragic losses of a toxic leader, a loss of sanity. We start doing crazy things. We can't control our emotions. Everyone's a threat. Everyone's an obstacle. 
There's something wrong with everyone in my life. Everyone's against me. Every pastor is somehow a false teacher. Every family member is talking about me. Every church member is out to get me. Every social media post is about me. So that justifies my unreasonable treatment of those who have served me or served with me for years. I don't care who I hurt or how it affects my family. I want what I want. May I say this, church, don't let that happen. Saul went crazy. He goes crazy. Tried to kill David. Tries to kill, he, he comes and he's willing to kill his own son-in-law. Go to my daughter's house. Can you imagine the trauma that would be? If your dad's servants came, took your husband out of your home, and the next thing you know, he's dead? I don't care what it does to my daughter. Tried to kill his own son, Jonathan, when Jonathan said, Dad, what are you thinking? Tried to speak some reason into him. Toxic leaders lose their sanity, their reason, their ability to reason. Simply put, like Saul, when we go from a humble, anointed servant leader to a prideful, sinful, selfish leader, we lose much. We can lose our joy. We can lose trust. We can lose the respect of others. We can lose family relationships. We can lose valuable partnerships that have served us well for, for no reason. We can lose honest communication and we can lose our sanity. And people are like, what is that guy thinking? Take inventory. Do you see any of this in your life, in your family, in your marriage, at work, at church? Let's ask God to give us the grace, the wisdom, the humility we need to repair it. You've listened well. I want you to turn to one more place. Would you go to Psalm 59? And I promise I'm done. Psalm 59, I want to close the service with this. You see, it's interesting that while Saul was hunting to kill David, when Michael let him down out of that window and Saul's trying to find him to kill him, David's response, he wrote a song. When you read Psalm 59, if, you're, if you have a reference Bible, my, my Bible at the top of Psalm 59 says this. To the chief musician, whatever that guy's name is, when Saul sent and they watched the house to kill him. This psalm is written after David's been let out of the window by his wife. When the surveillance team was there and David had to escape away from the surveillance team without being seen, he writes this psalm. Look what he says. What was David's response when, when there was a toxic leader in his life? Deliver me from mine enemies, O oh my God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. He turns to God. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloody men. For lo, they lie in wait for my soul. They're, they're all around my house. The mighty are gathered against me, not for my transgressions, nor for my sin, O oh Lord. I didn't do anything to deserve this. They run and prepare themselves without my fault. Awake to help me and behold. Thou therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to visit all the heathen. Be not merciful to any wicked transgressors, Selah. They return at evening. They make a noise like a dog, go round about the city. Behold, they belch out with their mouth, swords are in their lips. For who, say they, doth hear? But thou, O Lord, shalt laugh at them. Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. Because of his strength will I wait upon thee. For God is my defense. The God of my mercy shall prevent me. That means keep me. God shall let me see my desire upon mine enemies. Slay them not, lest my people forget. Scatter them by thy power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride and for cursing and lying which they speak. Consume them in wrath, consume them that they may not be and let them know that God ruleth in Jacob or Israel unto the ends of the earth, Selah. And at evening, let them return 
and let them make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. Let them wander up and down for meat and grudge if they be not satisfied. Here's what he says. Let them live that way. If that's how they're gonna live, trying to find me and kill me, would you read verses 16 and 17 aloud? Ready, begin. But I will sing of thy power. Yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning. For thou hast been my defense and refuge. Unto thee, O my strength, will I sing. For God is my defense and the God of my mercy. What did David say? God, I'm gonna leave it to you. When I've been mistreated, when I've been unkindly and harshly treated, I'm gonna keep my focus on you. I'm gonna sing of you when I've been hurt and lied about. I'm not gonna retaliate or seek revenge. When toxic leaders have lied about me and schemed against me, I'm going to seek to be a healthy, godly leader. The tragic losses of a toxic leader. Simply put, church family, this evening, let's be a little more like David and a little less like Saul. Let's seek to be a godly, humble, not self-sufficient, savior-sufficient leader. And when we choose to follow patterns like Saul, we risk losing a whole lot. The tragic losses of a toxic leader. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.